Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. We're here on another Monday morning, uh, sitting around the table, Scott's eating an apple, um, just like from the Garden of Eden. Doesn't say it was an apple. Yes. Doesn't. We That's had this discussion assumption. recently. Yeah, this that discussion is the assumption. On Wednesday. Yep. On Wednesday. Tim said some people, we just talked about how some people will skip church and say they're going to the orchard to go um, to go spend time with their family. And I brought up the fact the first sin was committed in an orchard. To which I debated with him, how do you know it's an orchard? And, and he it said a garden. And uh, <laughs> Ryan Lundquist did say that if it was an orange, those were called groves. So it could... Yeah. <laughs> There's not like an orange orchard. It's a grove. <laughs> it's a grove. So, true. why? Well, somebody had said if it grew on a tree, it's an orchard. And I said, I don't know if that's true. If, every, if I think it's called something different. And he's right. Orange groves are what they're called. So is it like a pecan grove or, or like mangoes? Orchard? I know mangoes a mango grove. It's mm-hmm. not an orchard. Or pineapple grove, maybe. I don't, I don't think know. pineapples grow on trees. Pineapple tree? I don't know. I think mm. they grow off of a like a bushy type yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. What's a category? Almost know. like. Uh, Cashews grow on trees. You know that? That's a nut. Yeah. So it's just like an acorn tree or whatever. Mm-hmm. That makes it a grove. An acorn tree is called an oak tree. <laughs> yeah, but it produces acorns. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do you call a cashew? Tree. <laughs> is it a cashew tree? I don't know. Cashew tree. <laughs> we need answers, people. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we don't talk science on here. <laughs> this is science. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is science. Yeah, it's biology, earth science, maybe. Do you want to talk science? Hang out with Spencer on a Saturday. It's hundred percent biology. What's the, you talk about with robots? Yeah, or oh, go with you to the DNR center. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, science. you go with Scott. Scott was a science lot of fun. guy. Oh, you went time. DNR. Nice. Mm-hmm. Good times. It was. It was a lot of fun. Okay, fun was had with all. Fun all was right. had with Fun's all. Over. Fun's <laughs> over now. All right, we're going to do our last episode of uh, walking through uh, this thing about Baptist ecclesiology. Um, using the uh, old 1689 Baptist Confession. And so we've talked about a number of things, right? We've talked about how Jesus rules the church. Jesus um, calls us to himself, puts us as part of a church, calls us to be a part of a particular local church. Um, and then we talked about pastors, deacons, the ministry of the word in the church, um, and also the importance of church members being with their individual churches. But now we're going to talk about um, how churches, plural, should relate to one another. Um, this is the love, the fellowship uh, that should bind together multiple uh, churches together. So we're going to talk about this. This is in the last two paragraphs, paragraph 14 and paragraph 15 of the uh, 1689 uh, Baptist Confession. It says this, as each church and all the members of it are bound, Scott, I'm going to put you on mute while you bite your apple. Okay. As each church and all the members of it are bound to pray continually for the good and prosperity of all the churches of Christ in all places and upon all occasions to further everyone within the bounds of their places and callings in the exercise of their gifts and graces. So the churches, when planted by the providence of God, so as they may enjoy opportunity and advantage for it, ought to hold communion among themselves for their peace, increase of love and mutual edification. Then paragraph 15, in cases of difficulties or differences, either in point of doctrine or administration, wherein either the churches in general are concerned 
or any one church in their peace, union, and edification, or any member or members of any church are injured in or by the proceedings and censures not agreeable to truth and order. It is according to the mind of Christ that many churches holding communion together do by their messengers meet to consider and give their advice in or about that matter in difference to be reported to all the churches concerned. Howbeit these messengers assembled are not entrusted with any church power properly so-called or with any jurisdiction over the churches themselves to exercise any censures either over any churches or persons or to impose their determination on the churches or officers. Well, I think that's clear enough right there, so we could probably not talk well, about the rest of it. I mean, we do have a special guest with us today, though. I don't know thank, if people thank know you. that. Thank you. Could you please introduce we have our special the moderator guest? of the Southeastern Baptist Association? The yes, the, the moderator. moderator, the main person, brother was a, moderator, was able to, brother moderator, <laughs> was able to give us some time this week, and so uh, we appreciate him being here. Mm, uh, yes, brother Scott Slater, Scott Slater, Slater. Scott Slater. <laughs> Scott Slater, the moderator of the so Southeastern. For the rest of this episode, we'll just call him Brother Moderator. Brother Moderator. <laughs> brother. Brother Moderator. Brother Moderator. How do uh, you see these paragraphs unfolding? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about a page and a half. <laughs> so we're thinking about the relationship of churches uh, between each other, local churches, particular churches. The first thing that I think we can talk about here is that the relationship um, between churches in general, and this is at a very general level, should be one of love, um, a relationship of love. So because of our union with Jesus Christ, because of our fellowship in the Holy Spirit and a common, a very basic Christian doctrine, um, we're to pray for other churches. And this, I think, includes churches that are not... uh, they might not be our exact faith and practice. So we're a Baptist church. This would include praying for, um, you know, Lutheran churches, charismatic churches, um, Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, other churches uh, that actually preach the gospel, the basic gospel message. So it says that churches and church members are to pray continually for the good and prosperity of all the churches of Christ in all places. So, um, and also to work for their good. So this is a very basic surface level. I shouldn't say surface level. This is the most general love that we're supposed to have to all Christians. Um, What do you guys think about that statement? And then how can that play out in our church and in our situation as we think about this? this Just the first paragraph? Yeah, just the the first part of that, the relationship of love. I think one question. Oh. Just that part. Just that part. Yeah, we're we're gonna get into the next part in a second, because there's a there's a second level, which is holding communion together, which is distinct from the general love. Yeah, I mean, I think it shows humility. Uh, number one, we we do our best to be a church that's biblical and right. Right, we we want to do that, and we are right. Yeah, we, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That just got rid of what I was going to say. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But we recognize there are churches who do not worship exactly how we do or whatever, but we would still call them brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, And so we should pray for all the, what I would say is true churches. Right. Right. Pray for for those who are part of the true church. Um, There might be some of those that we know by name. And that we would we would even say it by name, but it just even more generally speaking, praying that God would use His true churches 
uh, to share the gospel, to edify the saints, to be with them, to care for them. That's a, that is a good thing that should be on our, on our minds often. Uh, <clears throat> and it's, it's hard. I think sometimes even with, within your own community, uh, to, to pray for those churches. I think sometimes you see it as like praying for, uh, your opponent and that's not, mm-hmm. that's not how it should be viewed. Yeah. Your rival. Yeah. Your mm-hmm. rival. And that's, yeah. that's not what they are. They're brothers and sisters in the Lord as well. And so we should pray that God would bless them and, mm-hmm. and use them just like we would. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to say that similar. It's like, it, it's, it's ultimately teaches humility because to think that, oh, you know, we we're we're the special elitist can be a dangerous thing, obviously. And, you know, brothers and sisters of Christ, we can learn even the, let's say, for example, someone that's Pentecostal, you can still learn something from them because they love Jesus and they maybe desire to, maybe they're very, very passionate about taking the gospel to other pl- parts of the world or whatever. And you can always learn from other people, even if you don't agree with them in their theology totally. So sure. Yeah, sure. I was just going to read, um, from earlier in this series that we did in uh, paragraph number three of chapter 26 of the confession just starts by saying the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. And it's just, I think that mm, that's good. That yeah. recognition of we can be supportive to an extent of all kinds of churches around us despite how much error we see there, right? There's there's a line somewhere, and I'm sure that's what we're going to talk about soon. Um, but just a recognition, kind of as you said, Dave, of a, of a humility of recognizing yeah. there's not going to be any perfect church anywhere around us, including ourselves. And so um, we, can, we can support what they're doing. We can pray for what they're doing. We can want their church to succeed in preaching the gospel and reaching the lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this this especially I think for us today applies to um, churches that are of other denominations, especially um, particularly because that is what they're talking about here, which is churches. So you, I mean, you think about our Baptist forefathers back then; it would it they would be praying for um, Congregationalist churches in England. They would be praying yeah. for Presbyterian churches in England, particularly. Perhaps also the uh, the state church, the Church of England congregations, they might be praying for, um, even though they weren't. Um, as we're going to talk about, there's a, a a more formal relationship that churches that have the same faith and practice come together in. But this is a universal love that we're supposed to have with all the churches of Christ um, to pray for them. And and by the way, so this does not apply to when we're talking about churches of Christ, right? We're not talking about the Kingdom Hall. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses Kingdom Hall or the, yeah. the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We don't regard those as churches of Christ. Right. Um, but we're talking specifically about those churches that, that preach the basic um, gospel message that salvation is through Christ alone and found in him. And so um, we want to love and pray for and work for their good where and, and when, we, when we can. But then second of all, there's a, there's not simply a relationship of love, a general love that all the churches uh, should have uh, for each other. But secondly, there should be a relationship of communion. And it says here that, um, so the churches, when planted by the providence of God, so that as they may enjoy opportunity and vantage for it, ought to hold communion among themselves. Um, so this relationship of communion is an important relationship because the state, the confession here, our Baptist forefathers thought that churches, 
that are of the same faith and practice. So for instance, if you're a Lutheran church, you should find other Lutheran churches. If you're a Baptist church, you should find other Baptist churches. They said that you ought to hold communion among yourselves. So it's not simply something that is nice to have if you can. No, it's you should do this if you have the opportunity to do it. You ought to have close communion, hold communion. Um, there's an example of this from uh, one of the, the Baptist associations in 1652. So this is a very long time ago, the Abington Association. They said this, there is the same relation betwixt the particular churches, each towards other, as there is betwixt particular members of one church. So what they were saying is the same relationship that we have in our local church with between the members is the same relationship that churches should have in their association together. Um, that they, they drew a parallel to highlight the importance of their, uh, of, of their connection. And now it's also important to point out that that phrase hold communion. I don't know. Did I not put that in here? Where? Um, Yes. Okay, so yeah, we'll get there. So it's an important relationship. Second of all, it's a providential relationship because it's whenever churches are planted at the same time and place um, that they're able to actually hold real communion. So it's within providence. But then thirdly, what they mean by churches holding communion is this is a formal relationship. Um, the phrase hold communion, which our Baptist forefathers used there, was actually a technical term that the Baptists use as a designation for formal associations. One uh, Baptist writer today, Samuel Rinehan, writes, that is, they ought to have a formal relationship of mutual help, accountability, and cooperation with other churches of like faith. So they were explicitly talking about a formal relationship that churches uh, held together in holding communion um, together. So guys, before we continue on with this, thoughts about the the importance of this relationship it's providential aspect as well but also the especially that technical terminology that for the baptist holding communion was a technical word it wasn't just some kind of like loosey-goosey informal fellowship it was a technical word for formal relationships between churches thoughts mr moderator i mean i, I can't remember who i had the conversation with it, it might have been i can't remember who but just about um it might have even been in this the last uh, episodes that we did of just when there's not a formal connection between someone. Like it's even the example of marriage, you can have an informal marriage. Mm-hmm. Like you can set, you can call that a marriage, right? But that's not really like going to be that what it's called to be. It's not the covenant of marriage. Same thing when it comes to being a member of a church, which he, uh, which you quoted from the association there from 1652, of they compare the church's relationships to one another as similar to the individual people that mm-hmm. make up that church one to another. Yeah. There's a formal a formality to that. Yeah. And so just the question of if, if there's not a formal connection, what kind of connection is there? Mm. It's really a covenantal connection. I mean, we have church covenants and really that's what an association or a holding communion is. It's really a, a covenant between churches to um, hold each other accountable. It's interesting. Their, their first thing, the Abington, they said this, 
as particular members make up one particular church under the same head, so each of our individual church members, we have one head, Christ, and all particular assemblies, particular churches, are one Mount Zion. Wherefore, we conclude that every church ought to manifest its care over other churches. As fellow members of the same body of Christ in general, do rejoice and mourn with them according to the law of their near relation to Christ. So what they're saying is, every church, we come together to hold communion to watch over each other, to watch over each other's churches, just like we get together in local churches, first and foremost, to watch over each other's souls and to care for each other. That's what you're doing at an associational or communion level mm-hmm. that they're talking about between congregations. Yeah, so the last statement that says there at paragraph 14, ought to hold communion among themselves for their peace, mm-hmm. increase of love, and mutual edification. Yeah. So... How does holding communion with one another increase the peace between those churches? Yeah, I think we'll see we'll see kind of what that looks like in the next chapter, I think, about what happens. But um, what I think they would see was first of all, you know, if there's um, if there's a church, um, well, let me see, what does the paragraph say exactly? What would you ask again? Say that again. It says it says ought to hold communion among among themselves for their peace increase of love and mutual edification. So I'm just taking those yeah. three reasons. Yeah. It's for their peace, okay? How is it for their peace? What what does having communion, this formal relationship with other churches, how does that increase uh, or help them have peace on themselves? I think, you ever watch the show Alone? Yeah. <laughs> if anybody knows the show Alone, the hardest part usually is alone. Mm-hmm. you're alone. Mm-hmm. People really struggle with that. Yeah. And, uh, and they say that often. It's like, I'm going to, so they get a, they have a phone. And if they called on this phone, then they're out is what happens. And they, they'll be talking to like a camera because they're alone. They're filming themselves. And oftentimes what contestants will say is, it's not that I'm, I'm needing food. It's not that I'm needing water or shelter. I'm just, I'm lonely. And I, I'm going to go home. I'm going to call and I'm going to end it. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's like $500,000 on the line or whatever. There's a lot of money on the line. But they're just they just feel alone. And so I think having a close communion with another church that's nearby would give you peace in that way to know you're not alone. You have you have another group of people who maybe you don't see all the time, but that you know is doing what you're doing and and cares about you and loves you and that if there was a, a need in the church would help you maybe mm-hmm. meet that need. And so I think there's an increase of peace, but also just also maybe like theologically and all that too, of being of one mind with them. Well, that's what you see in Acts 15, right? Where that, that happened because there was, there was threatening to destroy the unity of the churches Mm -hmm. with each other. And so they go, they get together to have this, this, uh, uh, deliberation about what does the Bible actually say about whether or not the Gentiles have to be circumcised. Mm -hmm. And they come to the conclusion, no, um, so that restored the peace between Jerusalem and Antioch and all of the yeah. Gentile churches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think in our context, I mean, that's uh, unfortunately the case sometimes where somebody will leave one church, a family will go to another church. And if there's formal communion between those churches, mm-hmm. I mean, if there's conversation between those churches of why did these people leave? Did they mm-hmm. leave for good reasons? Mm-hmm. Are they going to come to your church and cause division, and mm-hmm. cause problems? Right? Did they leave in bad standing here, right. and is that going to spread there? And so, um, helping, having a formal relationship where, and this does get into the next paragraph, where 
there's a process, so to yeah. speak, of addressing concerns, addressing issues that come up between churches. A formal having a formal relationship helps you helps you figure those things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's danger with um, non you know kind of non denominational churches, these independent churches that maybe they've broken away from a denomination or from an association because there's just this sense, like you said, Tim, you know, like we're we're not meant to be alone, and churches should not be. We should be autonomous in a sense of like how we you know our bylaws and so forth, like we talk about. But th- you know, kind of this. Oh, we're just like. You know, we're just our own church, and we can we we have our, we set this, and there's no oversight, there's no accountability, and that's kind of trendy today in mm-hmm. our culture. It's very common to see these churches become non-denominational with these names that are not associated with the you know their association sure. or whatever, and I think that's dangerous. Yeah, I think also it it destroys the um, small C Catholicity of the faith. Yeah. Because each individual church becomes a brand mm-hmm. instead of whenever yeah. you're in association or really holding, and this is this is important. This is different than even what most Baptist associations do today. I think what they're talking about this formal holding firm communion is much different than what we talk about today. Because what would happen back then is you're actually seeing this this. Um, I mean, we don't like to talk about this word, but there's actually an interdependent relationship that these churches develop with each other to where um, we're, we're holding each other together in the gospel faith because it's bigger than one church. So, for instance, one idea that you could see these happening is if a church doesn't have a pastor and one church is is uh, blessed with gifted brethren or whatever, they would say, okay, well, we've got some guys who can come to your church Mm -hmm. to preach, potentially becoming your pastor, because we're about making sure that all the churches, we're we're helping each other. We're also helping each other stay true to the faith, but also if you're lacking in something, we want to help you meet that need. So this holding communion is, um, is, is much more, is, is formal, but it's also, it's necessary. And this is another difference um, that one writer I was reading, David Kingdon, who uh, wrote an article about some of the old Baptist um, uh, associations. One of the things he points out, this is different than what we often think of. Often when we think about Baptist associations, we think about it as only as voluntary cooperation, which is the basic principle that we can do more together than we can apart. And he points out that pragmatic reason is actually far down the list for our old Baptist forefathers. The primary reason was, is because we need to take care of each other. It's not the pragmatic reason that if we just gather all of our forces, we can do more together. There is that aspect, but that was far down the list compared to we need each other, just like the members of a particular church need each other, to first of all, hold each other accountable and to instru- to strengthen and encourage and exhort each other for our peace, our edification, because we can't grow in Christ without each other. I get really nervous when there's a new church coming to town and thinks that they're going to be able to start up and to reach the lost in the community and not be involved in any other group, mm. uh, whether that's support from afar like that's that's one thing, like financial support, but the kind of support you're talking about, uh, not having that relationally, locally among yourself, mm-hmm. seems very arrogant to think that you're actually going to be able to survive and do this sure. yourself without any help from any other church. There's also like just, I mean, from other churches that on the other side of that, when they see a new church come to town, feels um, threatened mm-hmm. by that. 
Yep. Oh, here comes another church. We're going to have another wave of people leave our church to go find something better. Sure. And they feel threatened instead of wanting good for that church, instead of wanting to see that church flourish. Right now, again, that all yep. goes back to, is this a church we want to flourish? Because there's definitely some that we would say we don't want to flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it just goes into that general idea of, this is for our mutual edification. Yeah, It's recognizing even even if we're the biggest church in town with the most resources and the best training, we still need other churches for our own edification. Sure. We need that. Sure. I'll never forget when I was in Chicago, um, you know, I went through church planting assessment and with North American Mission Board, and we, we were launched out by uh, an existing SBC church in the city, which I know Scott knows the, the pastor there and the church there. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of got our footing, our footing, if you will, and we were growing, and the Lord was just really working. And there was another SBC church that had been there a long time that I had just learned about. It was like this guy's like, oh, that's my brother. He's pastoring over there. And so he contacted me, and he's like, hey— um, I've got a boat. Well, I'll take you out to Lake Michigan, and I don't think it was. I don't think we actually did any fishing, but it was kind of like a fishing boat anyway. Um, and I'm like, yeah, sure. It was beautiful summer, and uh, I'm thinking this guy's in his probably 50s. You know, been there a long time in the city, and he wanted to encourage me. You know, this young pastor that's now in 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 town and similar area. And I remember him like it was just kind of like we were talking. He's asking me all these questions about you know church about the ministry and then he looked at me and said i just want to know one thing what are you doing on my turf and <laughs> and i mean i almost like i think i almost like kind of fell back like oh i could probably fall right into lake michigan <laughs> you know i was like i mean talk about the wind getting knocked out of your sails like i was like whoa i'm like at first i'm like is he he didn't have like a bag of cement with him did he <laughs> <laughs> thankfully not i mean i'm in the middle of lake michigan yeah. you know? i see the city skyline i'm like oh boy here we go There's a, there were a few bricks there though with a rope yeah <laughs> oh man and like he was serious and he, he it's all the questions he'd ask were basically to kind of you know prime me i guess or, or just try to find out what am i doing and uh, he was serious he was like well, he's like i don't understand why you're right like you know i was like 10 blocks from where he was or whatever and there's 60,000 people in that neighborhood mm. yeah. <laughs> so anyway it was just this kind of like eye-opening thing that there's a lot of this like you were saying scott this territorialism you know people just like instead of working together instead of being like i'm so glad you're here we've been praying for for god to raise up leaders and 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 pastors and to come into the city and all that it was just like what are you doing here you know, who mm-hmm. are you? He's some young punk kid coming in my my neck of the woods, whatever. So, <laughs> very interesting. Thankfully, we went back to shore, and I got back in my car, and I was like, "Well, nice to meet you." Never really talked to him again. <laughs> I mean, we couldn't say that of you when you came here to NBC. You're not the young one, right? No, oh. that's not. I'm not the young punk anymore. <laughs> I'm a Scott's the young punk. I'm a seasoned punk. Yeah, a seasoned punk. <laughs> So the formal relationship that churches have was one where advice could be given and received, uh, poverty and distress could be alleviated, and uh, common gospel work can be carried on through consultation and consent. So working together. But that's what having a, they they actually called it holding a firm communion with one another. Um, It was a very big deal um, for churches to be be together. Um, David Kingdon writes this, He says that care, which is of the essence of Christian love, is to be the motivating principle of interchurch association. Such care is not optional. 
It is the law, the principle of our near relation to Christ. That is to say, it flows from and is an expression of our union with Christ, the head of the church. I think putting that back at the forefront of associations and put at the forefront of what it means to hold communion is not primarily a pragmatic solution to our problems, but as the expression of love that churches should have because of our union with Christ, we need to place that first and foremost because then the missions would take care of itself. But whenever we only make it pragmatic, then if a church gets big enough, well, I can go do this on my own. I don't need that um, because it's it, we only did this for pragmatic purposes to begin with. When in fact, what we're talking about is of the essence of love. The love that is in Christ individually should flow to other Christians in their church and then should flow outside of that church to other churches that we hold um, communion with. So now let's talk here about chapter paragraph 15. When we think about the relationship of mutual care that um, should be exhibited between between churches. Uh, First of all, they talk about mutual care between churches when problems, they call them difficulties or differences, um, arise. Um, so what are some problems that might affect many churches or simply one church that you could see, uh, coming about? They lost their pastor. Okay. And so what would the association or communion of churches do to help that? They could find, like you said earlier, a gifted brethren within their church to send there for a season to preach for them. If they need that, uh, they could do that. Or, uh, if there's multiple elders, at a church, they could even send them that elder to be a pastor at that church. Sure. It's just helping them by resourcing them with somebody who's qualified to preach the word to them. Yeah. And you could also see, um, you know, this is something that doesn't happen today, but it used to a long time ago where churches wouldn't just let you leave your local church for another church. You had to give a good reason for why you were going to someplace else. And actually, this is crazy, uh, but our Baptist forefathers, if you left a Baptist church to go to a non-Baptist church, you would be put under church discipline (laughs) because they thought, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? And uh, that sounds really harsh to us today. And I'm not saying I'm not saying we should follow them, copycat everything, but that shows the importance they placed to the firm communion in a local church, let alone to then what happens at an associational level where it's like, um, we used to have letters, which is something of a, you know, we don't really do that much anymore. Yeah, they used to actually mean something. Yeah, they used to actually take a letter to a church and say, look, I've been approved by my church to seek membership Mm -hmm. um, if you want to contact them. So churches used to do that to say, okay, sister, whatever, brother, whoever is coming there. Um, So you would have churches able to, work that out if they were in communion uh, together. But also, and this is one thing that I, I think is, is very helpful is one of the, and this is one of the dangers of congregationalism is that there is, if a, if an individual member of a church is hurt and we, as we've talked about before, they shouldn't just quickly leave that local church, right? You should stick it out if you can. Um, but what if, you feel like you've been wronged by a local church. Is there no recourse? And actually the old Baptist forefathers said yes to go to the association. And actually that's one of the things you're doing as a local church. Whenever you are coming together in communion, you're saying, if we do something wrong, even to one of our members, we want you to give us, you know, they have the right to go and appeal that to the communion of churches. And and you guys can give us some advice 
about and some wisdom whether or not we've done something wrong here and whether or not this brother or sister has been wronged by our local church. Have you guys ever seen that happen at an association level? Um, I just think it's interesting that they explicitly mention that as one of the purposes of a communion of churches. Not an individual person. I yeah. can't think of one. Mm-hmm. Tim? Yeah, I, can't, I can't think of a member going, but like I've had pastors ask other pastors what to do in situations of things, you know, of member membership issues or whatever it might be. But I've never, I can't remember a time when a, a member came and said, I think my church is doing me wrong. Yeah. I want you guys to look over this. It's not honestly talked about a lot. Yeah, I mean the culture from when from when this was written to now. I mean the culture is drastically different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it's like what you were saying, a person would be put under church discipline for going to a different church. I mean, it's like the number of times that that would actually happen would Today. be very few. Right. Today happens all the time. Yeah. All it takes is one little argument or or you know hurt feeling or you know, idea of yours that's not used and then you're, you're upset and then you go somewhere else. Right. And that's just very culturally acceptable today. And, uh, if a church would actually try to discipline someone for that, they would be just labeled as unloving in a terrible church. Right. And the person would be seen as a victim in that. When is what this is talking about and what you're mentioning in terms of the, their membership at that church, it would have been totally the opposite. They would have been ostracized in their community. They would have lost relationships. They would have been hurt by that. Definitely. It, it was motivational for them to come back. Yeah. You know, um, it's just so different today yeah. that, that, I could rarely see that ever happening. And indifferent, I don't know. I wouldn't say better. Yeah, no, I'm not saying better yeah. by any means. That, and that's what I don't want to just go away saying, oh, it's just different nowadays. I don't think it's better. It, it's worse. And you see the importance of understanding uh, church leadership, uh, all this stuff we've been going through, church leadership, church membership, and now association. When you start to break any of that down, it's all going to fall apart. It's not going to. It's not going to work anymore. And I think that could be where we're where we're headed. I mean, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, we're we're having these conversations at a national level of what does it mean to associate together. That's going to be a big thing in our in our convention coming up in June, uh, because that is that is being discussed. What does define associate, and what binds us together, and. There's arguments on both sides that are happening and taking place. And if you if you change what you mean by associate, it's going to make a big difference then in what this and what this means and talks about. Um, what I mean, that's what we've been talking about here, right? There, one of their definitions of associate is doctrine and theology, because that that's the first line. Yeah, in either cases, in point of doctrine or administration. Yeah, right? if the difficulties or differences are in this. Then we can talk about it. Not necessarily in should we have a picnic or not. That doesn't go to the association. <laughs> yeah. That's an individual church thing. Sure. But in, for them, it was points of doctrine and administration. Right, right. If that goes, then that goes to the association because we all agree on what that is. And so I can actually make a judgment call for this member who's come to us, right. even though I don't go to that church, because I know we are all held to this standard in this association. So the same faith and practice. Yeah, but that even has been wiped away. In our in our context, to where, to be honest, I wouldn't be comfortable even in our own association that we're in if some member from another church was like, "Hey, they're saying this." I'd have to ask a ton of questions, like, "Well, what theological stance do they have on this and this and this and this?" Because I don't know if we align with them on that. And so, who am I to tell you if that was right or wrong of them? You know, I mean, there's certain things like abuse and other things that 
definitely we could talk sure, about and sure. we would have a standard because of legalities of sure. it. But it, it would be hard associational wise to do that. And, uh, but then membership has been so watered down. Membership doesn't matter. I mean, I've been the lead pastor now for almost four years. I've had three people actually come to me and tell me they were leaving and why. Mm-hmm. One was not a good conversation. Two were a good conversation. Um, but we've had way more than three leave since I've been the pastor for whatever reason and go join other churches. And I can't, I mean, maybe, I'm trying to think, maybe one church has contacted me. Right. Of a member joining their church that they knew was here and mm-hmm. if there was any issues. Um, and it's just not even, it's not even thought of. It's not even right. practiced. But I think that goes to authority. They don't see church authority as anything. Yeah, and I think that goes back to that form, the idea of formal relationship. Mm-hmm. We just view it as a, this isn't really a formal uh, it'd be kind of like, yeah, the marriage example is helpful because it's like, okay, no, I'll just be casually married. I don't need to go through the ceremony and sign the, it's just paperwork. But so I think a lot of people, way people sadly, think, that's way they, they do go through the ceremony. They become members, but then they just leave, you know, or um, in the association, we become members and associations together, but we don't really care for each other, you know? And it's like, well, what are we doing? What, what is happening here? And again, I bring up the Southern Baptist Convention because it's getting to the point to where there, there's an argument to that um, we come together to give to a cause versus we come together around a statement of faith. That's the argument, it seems, that I see being laid out uh, that needs to be decided is what are we? I think that's a big question. Yeah, there's that that's old, a huge question. There's that I, think old, there's, I think there's more to it than just that. Is it either or? I think there's, do we, can we contribute to a cause without agreement on that statement of faith? Right? That's why the that's statement of faith is there. But it's not an either or. The, the agreement I don't on see the, how it's not an either or. The agreement on the statement of faith would be for the purpose of giving to the cause. What? You lost me. So do you said do we do we come together for the purpose of a cause, which would be like the cooperative program, the financial mm-hmm. giving, the benefits that come from that, or do we come together only to just unify around a statement of faith? Those aren't mutually exclusive. I think what you, he, ha- you have to have both of those. I think what he was saying is what is the ground of the reason we get to get like what is the b- tie okay. that binds yeah. us right? Yeah, we sense. we do that together. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think that, and I think that you know there's that old hymn, "Blessed be the tie that binds our heart." It's you know the, you know that hymn, yeah. Yeah, you know, I do. Yeah, that old hymn. But I think that's the question we're asking: is what is the tie that binds us together? Yeah, and is is the tie that because there is a uh, is the tie that binds us pragmatic cooperation, or is the tie that binds us the fact that we have communion, shared communion in doctrine and administration? That is the question. And then because because even these churches, no matter who you are, you're gonna. So the churches that are gonna emphasize cooperation more are gonna say, well, we we do have a statement of faith. And the churches that um, hold communion in this way with doctrine and administration are going to say, well, we do cooperate together for missions. It's just the question, I think, more of what is the emphasis of the ground of the tie that's binding you together? Yeah, what I was saying is that that's the big argument that's happening right now that you referenced, Tim, is the, the reason, like you we mentioned in a previous podcast, Saddleback this issue of churches who are ordaining pastors is become women pastors has become a big issue because it's been seen by the majority of the convention that we can't cooperate with you because there's been a violation of 
what our statement, our agreed upon statement of faith is. So there's an emphasis of both, right? Of this, in order to cooperate together for that cause, there has to be an agreement on a statement of faith of some kind, and that's been violated. And that's what's that's what's causing the division and the argument to where there are some who would say, we don't cooperate together at all based on a statement of faith. The majority of Southern Baptists are saying, no, that's actually not the case. Mm. But that's being hashed out through these the series of meetings, and it's going to come up again at this, as mm. this next one. It's For actually sure. been answered in our state and at our association level. Yes. Our state has said, no, we come together on this statement of faith. Yeah. yeah. And so has our association and yes. our constitution and bylaws. Yeah. Um, but the national level is the one where the question is being raised. I just mm. we need to say that I think yeah. so people know that's why I'm going. Yeah, brother messenger. No, then. you're going so you don't have to work on youth camp. It's not true. The the goal is, is that the only youth, reason why he's going to play? Done. He's going to yeah. play disc golf. He'll play disc golf. Later. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'll be here working on youth camp. Hey, you're free. You're free in Christ. <laughs> no, you're not. You're going to be here worrying about youth camp. <laughs> I'm not going to oh, worry about it. Oh, that's, that's a difference. Oh man. Of the two of us, it wouldn't be me who worries. I don't plan, remember? <laughs> don't plan. <laughs> Just wing it when I get there. Oh, uh, yeah. Take these tennis balls and... Uh... <laughs> no. Anybody what, knew? No, no, no. Never, I'm not yeah, we I'm probably... not say, it. say it. Come on. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I got to maintain communion. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking about mutual care when problems arise, but... I, and we don't have to spend too much time, I guess, on this, but the, it is important to say that this is prescribed by Christ. It's interesting. It says, this is according to the mind of Christ. That same phrase is used in paragraph eight when it says that a particular church consists of uh, officers and members, and they says that's according to the mind of Christ. So it's important to highlight that what they're saying in this paragraph is not, and this is something that they're saying Jesus has given us instructions in based upon particularly Acts 15 would be a great illustration of it. Um, but this is mutual care that is led and, and described by Jesus. And it's also through assembled deliberation. So the churches, it says get together, which the churches meet via by means of their messengers to deliberate, to consider, and then to give advice about these difficulties or differences. And if you read, you know, there's an old book that you can get on Google Books. You could find it. And I've got a copy of it um, is the uh, minutes of the Philadelphia Baptist Association. You can find it. It's like the minutes of the of the Philadelphia Baptist Association from 1707 to 1807. And if you read that document, that, that book, you can see throughout where um, churches would send questions. Is this appropriate for this to happen in a church? And the, the association, when they got together, would take that question, deliberate it, and give their answer of what they thought um, was, the, was the correct biblical perspective on things. And you'll see that happens often um, with, with any number of difficulties um, and, and situations going on. The association would come together to kind of uh, keep the peace and communion for one church, but also maybe with, with multiple churches, uh, to hash that out through deliberation. Um, and then lastly, it's mutual care through consent, not imposition. And this is uh, one of the distinctives that we would say of, of Baptist, but also congregationalism in general, which is um, the messengers of these churches are not a church. They're the gathering of churches, but they don't have church power. So ultimately, if a church decides, for instance, if it, you know, for instance, so let's use the women pastor thing. If you're, if you're a church in a communion of churches that says, we don't, we don't believe that women should be ordained as pastors, but one church says, no, we want to do that. Well, 
um, ultimately that association cannot go into that church and take over the board and say, all right, no women pastors. They can say, you can do that if you choose to. Know that we believe this is wrong and also know that we are going to remove you from communion. We see this same practice carried out in the local church level because, for instance, if a church member comes to us and is living in blatant, open, immoral sin, um, we can't go into their home and say, no, you're not allowed to do this anymore. Yeah, we're going to seize your bank account. We're going to seize your bank account. You can't do this anymore. No, we don't have that power. We do have the power to disfellowship you to cast you out of the church similarly an association a communion of churches does have the power to cast out a church that is behaving disorderly and they should do that Mm -hmm. if it is such a grievous blatant um sin um so it's mutual care through a simple deliberation but ultimately with consent because we can't go in and just kick the door open on another church um and uh, take over that way so Thoughts, closing thoughts, Mr. Moderator. No, I mean, that's that's exactly the thing. Like, just going back to the example with uh, just because it's so it's so in your face right now of Rick Warren and Saddleback Church of like, that's what the Southern Baptist Convention has done is r- remove them. They can't go to their church and say, you have to change. We're going to take your property. We're going to do this. We're going to put liens. We're going to you can't do that. Would you all you can do is say. We can't change what you're doing as a church. We're going to encourage you to change because we think it's wrong, but you can't be part of this fellowship anymore. Right. right. Um, just because we as a fellowship have decided that that's not mm-hmm. okay, that we should not believe that together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's all you can do. Mm. Right. And, and by the way, they have, he has said they're going to appeal this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is a, there an appeal process? There's a process. Yeah. Okay. And so if a church feels that they've been wrongfully, uh, disfellowshipped in that way, they can appeal it on the floor of the okay. Southern Baptist Convention. I think that I don't think he's the only one planning on appealing that. I think there's mm-hmm. another church from very close to my hometown mm-hmm. that's going to be doing that as well. Um, I mean, and we'll see what happens. So they're not technically out of the convention yet. I think they technic- can still appeal. I think uh, I don't know technicality. Yeah. Of like, are they technically out? Are they technically in? You know, do they only get one chance to appeal, and then yeah. after that, I don't right. know. I right. don't know what the mm. what that is. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, that's all I've got. Tim, you got anything more? No. Okay. Let's go get a hot dog. That's all what right. I was just looking at. That's what I was just looking. At. <laughs> He's ready. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening to this. Um, thanks for listening to this whole series. Hopefully, it's been helpful, and we'll let you know where we're going to head um, next time as well. Take care, and God bless.